We are in the Gemara in Yevamos Chavtesam Beis 29b4 in the Art Scroll Gemara. The Gemara now is trying to fi- figure out, it's a continuation of our last recording, trying to figure out exactly what happens after Mimer according to Beis Shammai. Does it have the status of a halachic engagement? Does it have the status of a halachic marriage? Uh, even though Mimer itself, what you are doing, if it was outside the context of Yibam, it's just giving a ring or a marriage document, that would only... Uh, create a halachic engagement, perhaps things are different when it comes to Yibam because there's already a Zika, there's already is a bond that, that is existing. Uh, so what exactly would happen? And in the last recording, we mentioned that there are various differences between a halachic engagement and a halachic marriage. And the Gemara itself described three differences, uh, and that included whether or not uh, they inherit from one another. There's Yerusha, and so that only happens once they are halachically married. <coughs> a second uh, difference is whether or not there's an obligation to go to the Levaya, to go to the to be involved in the burial process, to be there. Um, and that only applies once they are married. And then the last case is Hataras Nadarim. Hataras Nadarim is the concept that a husband has the right to annul an oath that the wife makes if it impacts uh, the family, and so he has that ability to annul it. There's a, a lot of discussion about uh, how far that goes and and uh, the limitations to that, um, and that is discussed in a whole separate tractate, uh, but he does have the right uh, to do that. That's found in Masechus Nadarim, in the tractate of Nadarim, of, of the making of oaths and vows, and a lot more is discussed there as well, but the husband has the right to do that. We pointed out that that only applies if they're married, if they're only engaged, so then it requires both the consent of uh, the, the of the husband, the engaged husband, and of her father. She's living in her father's home, and so both of them would have to annul a vow in order for it to be viewed as annulled if it's just an engagement. And so what the Gemara now is going to deal with is this last option. We mentioned that when it comes to the first two, uh, with regards to Yerusha, inheritance, and with regards to an obligation to be involved uh, and oversee the burial, that does not apply after Mimer. We meant, the Gemara says explicitly that that does not apply after Mimer. The question is, what about this third one of Hataras Nadarim? Does that apply after Mimer? And why would we differentiate between the two is a very good question, which the commentators deal with. I, I'll just give one interesting approach, which I have seen. Why would we differentiate between uh, the Yerusha, the inheritance, and the obligation to uh, to uh, be involved in the burial, and even to become impure if you're a Kohen, uh, versus Hataras Nadarim, uh, annulling the oaths. And so when it comes to a marriage, there are really two different parts to a marriage, what's, uh, what's created in this relationship of a marriage, halakhically. Uh One part is the Ishus, is the relationship itself. The, it's a hard, hard way to define the Ishus, but it's the relationship of a husband and wife. That is what is created, and that has various halakhic ramifications. And those ramifications include uh, whether or not they inherit from one another after one passes away, and uh, whether there's an obligation to be involved in the burial. That's from the Isha's perspective, from the relationship perspective. The idea of Hataras Nadarim, that you have the ability uh, and the right to annul a vow that, that uh, the husband's wife, his wife makes, uh, so that is not from the Isha's perspective of the relationship, but it's what we refer to as the Kinyan, that it's some form of uh, that she's within her, his home, that she's a, a part of his home, 
and so therefore he has certain he has certain rights. Uh, one of them being the ability to annul her vows, and so it's really a separate part of the marriage. Really, the marriage you get divided into two, and sometimes one applies, and sometimes the other does not apply. And so this is a potentially an example of this. And so the Gemara, for the for the remaining lines, is going to fit, trying to figure out does mimer impact whether or not the husband has the right to do hataris nedarim, hafaris nedarim. And so the Gemara says as follows. They quote from a Mishnah which is found in Nidarim, in Masechus Nidarim. And so this Mishnah is found in Nidarim, even though it has to do with Yibam, but this is a, a mix between Nidarim, between vows and Yibam. And so it says as follows, this is what the Mishnah says, Tashma, three different opinions. Shomeris Yavam. If we have the situation of a Shomeris Yavam, now the Mishnah does not say explicitly that there is Mimer here. So we'll get to that a little bit later. But you have a regular case of Shomeris Yavam. A brother-in-law and sister-in-law where... The husband passed away without any children. So the first opinion says, That Rebbe Lazar says that whether or not there are two brothers, two live brothers now, doesn't make a difference. Either one could do hafara. They could annul her vow. Of the sister-in-law. Before, and without getting into Mimer yet. The Gemara will discuss that in a minute. But Rabbi Yeshua, Omer Rabbi Yeshua says it's true, uh, but it's only if there's one brother. Only if there's one live brother could that brother annul her vows of the sister-in-law? But not if there are two. And Rabbi Kiva says, Rabbi Kiva is the third opinion, Omer lo Nobody could do it. None of the brothers could do it, whether it's one brother who's alive now or two brothers are alive now. No, it does not work. And so the Gemara says, I understand the logic for two of the three uh, opinions, but I don't understand the logic for the third. Uh, so the Gemara asks that I understand according to Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva says that nobody could do hafara because he holds Ein Zika, that there is no bond. We don't have such a strong bond even if it's just one brother. Rabbi Yeshua says that it only applies if there's one brother but not if there's two because as we've had in the past... When there's one brother, there's more of a reason to say that there's this strong bond. When there's two brothers, so it's hard to say that she has this strong bond to both brothers. It's difficult to say that. And so Rabbi Yeshua says, when there's one brother who's alive, so then okay, so she has that strong bond with that one brother, and therefore that one brother is allowed to be mefer, it could annul her vow. But if there are two brothers, you can't. But what's this third opinion? This third opinion of Rav Lazar who says that whether there's one brother or two brothers, uh, that uh, a brother could annul the vows, he says, I don't understand. If there's one brother, I get it. One brother could annul a vow. But if there's two brothers and they both have a strong connection to her, so then how could it be the language of a blazer is, is that just one of the two could do hafara? Only one of the two. We don't require both, but just one of the two could be made for, could annul a vow, and that works. But she's connected to two people. She's connected to two people. So how does that work? She's connected to both of the brothers. So how is it possible that only one brother is allowed to annul the vows? It's comparable to the case that we described before, uh, where it's an engagement. Let's say, let's say there's an engagement, uh, and not in the context of Yibam, and we say that we require both the father and the husband, the engaged husband, to annul the vow in order for it to work. We require both, because both have a connection. She lives in her father's home now. She's engaged to her husband. Uh, and so, and so we require both. So, so over here, how is it possible that only one of the two brothers is allowed to annul the vow if she has a connection to both brothers. So again, up till now, 
we are not assuming that Mimer was done. There's no Mimer here. Now comes the Gemara and says as follows. First answer, Amr of Ami. Hacha b'mayaskinan, what is the case here? Kegon d'ava b'maymer, b'is shamayhi d'amar, maymer kona kinyan gamor. So Rav Ami is of the opinion that says, you know what? How could one person do it? One of the two brothers do it? It's a case where one of the two brothers did maymer. He either gave a ring to his sister-in-law or he gave a marriage document to his sister-in-law and they became married. And this is within the opinion of Beishamai and within the opinion of Beishamai that it's a Kenyan gamor, that it's a complete marriage. And we see from here, according to Rav Ami, that it's a complete marriage and uh, he's now allowed to annul her her oaths, uh, and even without the consent of the other brother, because he did mimer, and now there's this close, even closer of a relationship. And so the Gemara analyzes this further and says, "Wait a minute, The Gemara says, "Maybe we could prove from here." That really, Mimer makes it as though they're fully married. It's a halachic marriage, not just a halachic engagement. Why? Because if they're halachically married, so then I understand why the brother alone could annul her vow, because that's what happens when they're married. But if it's just a halachic engagement, so then we still require the father. The father should still be allowed to, it should be needed to annul a vow. And it shouldn't be just based purely on the brother alone who did Mimer, but we should also, we need the father also to annul the vow. So how is it how is it possible that the brother could do it alone? It must be, says the Gemara, in a, in a question form, that the Gemara says, it must be that Mimer creates a halachic marriage, not a halachic engagement. But the Gemara says no. Because, and the reason why, is because if it was a halachic engagement, so then we would require both. That uh, if it was a halachic engagement, we require both the father and uh, the brother who just did this mimer. So it seems to be that it's a halachic marriage, not a halachic engagement. So the Gemara says, no. Amr of Nachmar Yitzchak, my mefer, mefer b'shutfus. Where it says, a Ravami, really, in the end of the day, maybe Ravami just meant, we cannot prove from here whether or not it's a halachic marriage or a halachic engagement. Maybe it's really a halachic engagement. And what Ravami really meant to say within Rav Lazar is that you still need the father's uh, the father to also annul the vow. It's not good enough alone just for the brother to do it. The point of Ravami was to say that in the case of two brothers, we don't need both brothers. It's enough just with one brother because he did Mimer, but you'd still need the father, just like any other case of an engagement. So we can't prove one way or the other. Maybe he included the father, maybe he didn't. It depends. We just don't know whether it creates a halachic engagement or a halachic marriage. If it's a halachic engagement, so then we need the father also to an olive out. And if it's a halachic marriage, then we don't need the father. And that's what Ravami is saying. End of the first answer. The Gemara then asks, wait a minute, Rav Ami said within Beis Shammai that it's a complete Kenyan, that it, it creates a, a complete marriage where we uh, we don't even require Chalitza if they had to get divorced, we don't require Chalitza, it's like it's done. All we require is a get, a divorce document, because the marriage is a complete marriage. So the Gemara says, wait a minute, but there's another opinion. Rav Lazar said that it doesn't create a complete marriage, we still require Chalitza. And so if we still require chalitza and a get, we require both chalitza and a get, even after you do maimer, so then why would we even suggest that you could do, we could do mefer b'shutfus? It seems to be that there's still some sort of, it's not just a complete separate uh, relationship, but we still have to do chalitza. There's still some sort of uh, connection from before the maimer. 
that already continues to exist. And so therefore, how could even, how could you even do may for Bishutzvas? How could you, how could we allow the brother to annul her vow and her oaths if, uh, really, it's not a complete relationship? So Amal Lachar Ravlazar, Ravlazar will answer two answers. He'll give two answers. And this will conclude the Gemara. Answer number one. Amal Lachar Ravlazar, Ravlazar will say, Answer number one says Ravalazar, a very important answer, that it's true. I was of the opinion that within Beishamai, that Maimar requires uh, a Chalitza and a Get, that if you wanted to get divorced after doing Maimar, it's not enough to give a divorce document. You also have to give Chalitza because some of the original aspects of Yibam continue to exist in this other marriage. But it's still a complete marriage with regards to other laws, says Rav Lazar. Rav Lazar would respond, it's still a complete marriage with regards to uh, annulling ve- uh, oaths, that he still has that right to annul the oaths, because just because you have to do chalitza, that's because there's still some sort of connection to the to the, uh, to that zika, to that zika. So there's still a, a zika connection even after you do mimer. But that doesn't mean that it's not such a strong relationship. It is a strong relationship, and therefore he has the ability to annul the oaths. Now, again, it might be a halachic engagement, it might be a halachic marriage, that's still unclear. And if it's a halachic engagement, we also require the father uh, of the uh, of the sister-in-law. Um, if it's a halachic marriage, then we don't. That is a separate discussion. But in the end of the day, Rav Lazar will respond back that it's true, I hold that you need a chalitza, but that's because the zika continues to exist, but that doesn't mean that uh, we do not allow for the annulment of uh, of an oath, that could still exist because it's still a strong relationship. That's answer number one of Rav Lazar. Answer number two of Rav Lazar. He has a different explanation. Rav Lazar will respond back, wait a second. How does Rav Nachman Yitzchak help to say that it's a halachic engagement that we require the father, that we do require the father? How could he say that? It just says it in the singular. It says in the singular that he, the brother, is allowed to annul the oath. It doesn't say in the plural that the brother together with the father. So how is that even entertained as an option? That it's a halachic engagement and we require both. The language of Elazar is in the singular, that one person, i.e. the brother. So either it's a halachic marriage, which is what we said earlier, that a halachic marriage would work for just the brother to do it, Alternatively, says Rabbi Lazar, this is what the case is. The case is as follows. What is the case here of Rabbi Lazar? So an interesting case. So it's a very interesting concept. Let's first give an example outside the context of Ibam. So a couple, they get engaged and then they want to get married. Halachic engagement, and then they want to get married. They pick a certain date to get married. But the husband doesn't show up to the wedding. The husband doesn't show up to the wedding, and they don't end up getting married. But they don't they don't get divorced either. Nothing happens. It just uh, stays in limbo. So the Bayesian rules, in such a scenario where it was a delayed marriage, after the date, that the husband has to support his his engaged his, his wife, who he's engaged to, as a, just to, to make sure something happens. So... We say that you have to uh, you have to uh, support the wife. So the same thing would also be true in the following scenario. Uh, that let's say there's a case of Yibam where there's a brother-in-law and sister-in-law and the brother-in-law 
doesn't do Yibam and doesn't do Chalitza. He says the case is not about Maimer. It could be potentially about Maimer, uh, but it's not necessarily about Maimer. But the point is that Chalitza is not being done and Yibam is not being done. And they're just waiting it out. They're drawing it out. And she takes she takes him to Beisden. She takes him to the court and says, nothing's happening and I need something to happen. And so Beisden says, and he doesn't show up or he disagrees. So then Beisden will say, you know what? Since you're supposed to be doing something, we are forcing you to support her. Now you have to support her because you're just... You're, you're keeping things in limbo. You have to now support her. So in both cases, he is supporting her. And in both cases, we also say as follows. That in the case of the marriage, of the delayed marriage, since he is supporting her, so now there's even a closer relationship just by default, by, by what happened from the Beisden, that he has to now support her. There's a closer relationship than just being engaged. And so we say that now whenever she takes a, a, an, an oath, now because there's this closer relationship, uh, when she takes an oath, she's having keep taking an oath Based on knowing that her husband uh, should has the ability to annul the oath, that she's taking an oath on condition that this is her mindset, she will take an oath on condition that her husband agrees to it, because they have an even closer relationship now. Uh, there's a concept that that whenever a wife uh, takes an oath, that they know that the, they have in mind that this should only be with the uh, acceptance of her husband. And so that applies even if you're not just halachically married. We said when you're halachically married, if the husband doesn't want it to go through, it won't go through. If he does, it does. Uh, but this is even if not, they're, they're not halachically married, they're just halachically engaged. Uh, but he's now supporting her. So then we will say that it's not based on the father. The father doesn't have to agree or disagree. When she takes her oath, it's purely based on her husband, who is an engaged husband, but he's now supporting her as well uh, and putting food on the table. So then it's purely based on the husband because she has a mind that it should only be based on the husband. And the same thing would be true, says Rav Lazar, in our case. Our case is not a, it's not a question about whether it's Maimer or not. It's really a different type of a case. It's a case where he is, he, he is not giving, not doing Yibam, not doing Chalitza. So the Beisden finds him and says, you know what, now you have to support her because you're delaying the Yibam and the, or the Chalitza. And now that he's supporting her, so now there's an even closer relationship, and now she has in mind that whenever she takes an oath, that it will be based on whether or not her husband accepts it or not. And that's really what it is ultimately will be based on, and that's the opinion of Rabbi Lazar. Rabbi Lazar will say that, you know what, since this brother delayed, delayed it, and he was taken to court, and he's paying now to support her, he's, he's the one that's supporting her, so therefore when she takes an oath, it will be based purely on that brother, and that's why he has the right to annul the vow. So it really has nothing to do with Mimer, really according to this last opinion. So in the end of the day, we haven't really solved the question as to whether or not it's like an engagement or it's like a marriage. The Gemara does not answer that question. According to Rav Ami, Rav Ami, who gave the first answer, said that the case is dealing with Mimer, uh, but that could either be that the brother alone does, could annul the vow or, or oath because it's a halachic marriage or it's, in, it's together with the father. It's just unclear. So we don't know in the end of the day. And Rabbi Lazar uh, either agreed to that. We had two answers within Rabbi Lazar. Either he agreed to that or he said that, no, the case is totally different. It's a case where he delays doing Yibam or Chalitza. And then in such a case, he has to support her. And then she has a mind that whenever she takes an oath, it is based on uh, his, uh, his acceptance of the oath. So that concludes the Gemara. And then in the beginning of the next recording next week, we'll begin a new Mishnah.